0: Oh, it works. So, welcome to open science and in particular open science hardware. Um, How many scientists do do we have in the room? Oh, like the majority. Um, How familiar are you with the topic open science? You're aware of the importance of open science, I guess. That's why you're here and we're all visitors to Republica, so we know the relevance of the topic. Um, We are very happy to have four um Excellent panelists today on the stage um, to discuss open access, open science, open science hardware together, and that is um, Thomas Herve Mboa For once from Cameroon. Can you? (laughs) The other way around Can you go back to the first slide? First, the first, yes. Then Jenny Malloy from <laughs> Cambridge, UK. <laughs> Tarek Omar from Egypt. <laughs> and as a local representative, Lucy Patterson from the from Berlin. <laughs> so even with a small panel like um, with four. Um, people on it it's still quite a diverse um, range of people and I'm very happy to yeah, discuss with you so yeah, first slide please so let's start with Thomas can you please tell us what you do and why you do it
1: okay um, thank you Joe um, currently I am a researcher at University Laval Piaget student um since 2015, I was involved in one project called Project Soir, It was funded by the Canadian government to document, the, to document uh, the obstacle to adoption of open science in French-speaking African uh, countries. And one of uh, the, the great output of this research was uh, nine cognitive injustice that we document in uh, our big books. And... And uh, this month, at the beginning of this month, we we launched a big conversation in in, in Africa by African and from African to start like a conversation about our different understanding of uh, uh, the, the the maker movement of uh, open science and art way in such a way that in order to 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 give uh, a support from inside. To, to give an endogenous uh, support about the movement in uh, Africa and at, in March this year also I launched uh, my my own space in Cameroon the, the Mboa lab which is like um, the reification of my utopia of my own understanding of the maker movement how can he be reified in my own context, in my village, so <laughs> that is uh, what I am doing, so, okay.
0: Thank you. Okay, and Jenny, from from Cambridge, UK, so how did you get involved in Open Science and what are you currently working on?
2: Um, so, I got involved in Open Science um, when I was an undergraduate, mostly because I saw um, open source software and particularly the collaborative practices of that as being useful for doing science. I'm quite a community-oriented person and so um, it chimed quite a lot with my own values and how I work. Um, Now I'm a Shuttleworth Fellow at the University of Cambridge and I'm researching pathways to an open, sustainable and equitable bioeconomy. So I'm a biologist by training um, and this is really looking at kind of how we can harness biology through biotechnology um, to produce goods and um, kind of you do economic activities using biology, moving on from agriculture and fermentation, which we know are very, very old technologies, to kind of new ways of doing things. Um, But one of the barriers to to doing that is that um, significant capacity building is required to engage in that bioeconomic activity, particularly in low resource environments. If you could move to the next slide, please. Thank you. So um, here you can see a lab space. It's a typical molecular biology lab. Um, And so the real problem is that biology needs um, physical tools, materials, and reagents. I'm sure many of you in the room as attendees at Republica um, are very up to speed with um, digital sharing of knowledge, content, data. Um, But when you move that into the space of research and tools um, in not only biology, but also chemistry and other disciplines... Managing a commons looks very different to managing a commons of software or digital information. Um, so, the internet is incredible, but it isn't this, and it can't get you um, chemicals and vortex machines and polymerase chain reaction thermocyclers for making copies of DNA. Um, you need to actually physically have that equipment with you to do the biology. And so, in that sense, part of my research is focused on the idea that building a commons of lab equipment is not inherently a problem of openness in terms of the IP and licensing. That's important, but it's insufficient. Um, And actually, we have a growing pipeline of off-patent equipment, tools, um, biological reagents, and also born-open designs from organizations like um, Open Plant, who I have... Um, worked for for three or so years, which is a UK uh, synthetic biology research centre creating open tools for genetically engineering plants. Um, So the openness is insufficient because it doesn't solve the problem of actually having the thing in front of you and so part of my research is addressing how do we make these open tools actually accessible and useful in the context of doing science and this brings in a whole host of complexities around infrastructure logistics, politics, commercial markets Um, and that's the context in which we have to build this commons and so I'm interested in in those types of questions Um, but that's not to say that intellectual property isn't important and one other major kind of point that I'd like to bring to the table is really how do we position openness as a strategic choice for delivering the outcome of science that we want to see. And I, coming from well within an ivory tower, <laughs> I see that the conversation just often doesn't include openness in that sense. And so I really want to shift the narrative, um, particularly within institutions that can sometimes view patent protection as an outcome and, some, and an achievement and something to be celebrated in its own right. Um, and so... This relies, I think, on a community that are open to hacking the ivory tower from within and outside and also sometimes demonstrating that the ivory tower doesn't need to be hacked and we can just kind of do this stuff anyway. Um, And so the Gathering for Open Science Hardware is uh, one such event that gathers that sort of community um, and I've been a co-organiser of that since 2015. Um, And we have over 350 researchers, technologists, engineers, policymakers on our forum... Um, And we meet once a year in person. This year, we're going to Shenzhen in October. Um, And so we developed a roadmap collaboratively with over 100 community contributors um, to make open hardware ubiquitous in science by 2025. You can check it out on the website. Um, And we aim to learn as much as we can about the community, support the community and scale um, the number and diversity of that community of people developing and using open science hardware and its global distribution. And I guess just to finish kind of the, the goal of a lot of the projects that I'm involved in and particularly I would say the GOSH the gathering and the roadmap is to try and move science towards communal accessible collaborative practices and away from some of the more kind of um, proprietary and individualistic practices that we see now and demonstrate in what context that can have a really positive impact um, on the economy on society um, i'll end with that
0: thank you very much and now Tarek from egypt you're the founder of the cairo Hackerspace. you're coming from the other direction we're merging science and the hacker movement here and you are also very welcome to visit us at the uh, Makerspace, just outside. But um, especially with the um, context in Egypt and your experience as a hacker and maker, how do you relate to science? How did you find the scientific community? And how do you think um, it can benefit from the hacker movement?
3: Uh, first, I am I'm, uh, I'm not a scientist. Uh, I am a software engineer. And uh, since 2009, when we found the Cairo hackerspace, uh, our goal and our mission, I guess, was to teach people in Egypt and and different cities in Egypt about what is a hackerspace. And we wanted them to uh, start hackerspaces because we saw that it makes sense in in that region uh, because of economical problems or or other problems that maybe I don't know about Uh, and, and sharing knowledge and the openness of a hacker space would make sense in education uh, of all, all its, its levels, so uh, and then we started doing the the maker express uh, and we made a road trip uh, to start uh, expand and, and reach areas in Egypt that uh, we never visited before. They never heard about this stuff before. Uh, since that time, during that time, since 2009, we, uh, we try to make impact in education uh, and we try to make impact with undergrad students uh, to make them do uh, better projects uh, and, and be more efficient and be more creative and convince them about the openness and the share of the knowledge so they can come up with uh, better projects or better ideas or, or real real, effective uh, innovations uh, then uh, last year we, we we saw that there is an area uh, that was we, we see it's it's very good in Egypt uh, but uh, it still needs impact which is uh, science uh, or, or research in general like technical research uh, I'm talking from a perspective of what you would you do in a makerspace or a hackerspace so uh, we, we decided to make to see, I mean, none of us is is a scientist or a researcher, uh, but but we would try. We are trying right now still to see what is the problems or or how to fix it or how to make the research, uh, whether it's in the university or outside the institution, uh, more effective and 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 actually happen and and reach everywhere in the world and people can benefit from. Uh, so we are trying to make the hacker space. Uh, as we make it more friendly to little kids and make it more uh, habitable and enough space for college students, we want to also give the opportunity and the chance to the, the, the community, the research and the science community to start their own community inside the hackerspace, not Cairo hackerspace, science hackerspace, or start a hackerspace with this mentality uh to do research uh in this space uh how we started it right now we are trying to uh uh, get the 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 basic uh the basic tools and uh that we can put our hands on whether we build it ourselves or uh, we take a different uh, approach of uh, not building it from scratch but maybe try to find it cheap on ebay broken, try to fix it, or even uh, reverse engineer it. So this is a little bit of hacking and maybe break some uh, IP rules or patents or whatever. But uh, we are taking it from our approach about we want to make this research happen and uh, we don't really take care of these rules in my country. So. Till, till, uh, till they have this stuff, like the patent and stuff, uh, to really respect it in the laws. Uh, maybe we can just get something out uh, by that time. So uh, yeah, that's that's uh, what we are doing right now uh, regarding this. Uh, and, and we hope it will make impact. We, we haven't started yet. It's planned to the lab to open in the next month, uh, starting with basic uh, tools and components for uh, uh, robotics and artificial intelligence research, all the rig and the tools uh, that's needed for that. And we are looking to collaborate with uh, the people who have the needs to try to fix these problems and, and try to work together to build or, or hack or reverse engineer the tools that's needed in the space.
0: Okay, thank you very much. And now let's go to the Berlin context since this is an originally a Berlin conference, Going international, or has been international since the last couple of years. Um, but as a local, Lucy, can you tell us about your work with uh, um, Science Hack Day Berlin?
4: Uh, yeah. So I guess what we're doing with Science Hack Day Berlin is is kind of pretty similar to what Tarek's doing, but in the Berlin context. Um, so I'm a, my background is in molecular biology. I come from an academic background but um, I kind of, over the years, found myself getting quite disillusioned with the way things were working inside the institution in some ways, Um, and came into contact with this project called Science Hack Day in 2013. Um, It's a global concept, actually, that was initiated in 2010 from a designer called Ariel Waldman in San Francisco, and by now they're a Local chapters, local editions of Science Hack Day in cities all around the world. And it's an open source plan that anybody can take and use and implement in their own context. Um, so, yeah, ours started in 2013. I was a participant, very nervous as a scientist, not really knowing what it meant. Um, but had a fantastic experience, met some really interesting diverse people from different backgrounds, um, different disciplines, and then joined the organizing team the next year. So maybe I can have the next slide. Yeah, I just wanted to put together a few impressions of what it's like. It's a hackathon, one weekend, once a year, We've had five editions so far. We bring together around about 80 people, and they're um, scientists of different disciplines, designers, developers, artists, and anyone who's kind of enthusiastic about science, making things, rapid prototyping, drinking Club Mate, and, um, yeah, staying up late. So we... Can we go back one? (laughs) Thanks. Um, Yeah, so it starts... With um, some kind of lightning talks, and then we have pictures from the participants for the projects they want to build, they form teams and then they hack over the weekend and present on the Sunday um, and we give out prizes for different um, different categories um, and really, I think the outcome of it is not so much the hacks that are made, which can be very weird uh, there's not you can't really build anything that substantial over one weekend, but um, it's more about the experience of um, working together with people from different disciplines and different backgrounds under this weird, intense pressure and kind of through that, getting to understand how the other people's minds work to a certain extent and seeing how different it can be to build things and create things in that context. Um, And what it does, I think, is it builds this social community, this interdisciplinary community and it's kind of a transformative experience where you realize how different it could be, how science could be something different to what you would experience inside a typical institution. Um, and yeah, we're a volunteer team. Uh, we, all we ask is that if you join our hackathon, you make something that is science-y. So it's an open brief. We, we're very, we don't have an accelerator program. We're not going to... like. Kind of kick off some new startups through this thing. We really, um, very consciously, kind of hold an open space for like you to express yourself, to kind of do weird um, things or things that don't necessarily have commercial value. So there's, we have space for artistic hacks, for critical hacks, for random stuff, um, but also for civic projects, projects like th- that um, maybe open source. Uh, hardware, like we're talking about here, um, and also kind of frugal practices, doing science in a different way and for different motivations and different challenges than you would do inside an institution. Um, yeah, and the reason that we do this is, um, yeah, we're really trying... We believe in open science in the sort of broadest way we're trying to help create this knowledge society where everyone has access to science as a as knowledge but also as a practice and um we see that academia um doesn't necessarily have this on the agenda or not in the same way there's a bunch of reasons why that doesn't really happen through academia so yeah it's it's a small contribution to this whole world but um we're we're doing what we can Thank you.
0: And now, yeah, if we keep up the slides, um, also as an inspiration and as a reference to what um, each of the panelists just um, introduced about or spoke about their work, um, can we now have a brief, maybe um, reflection on what's the key challenges, but also the key opportunities that you see in your respective work, and maybe also um, trying to refer to, to the question: What can both communities learn from each other. What's what is the common ground between the hacker movement and the scientific community?
4: Uh,
3: so yeah, what what uh, what are we trying to, to to learn now, and and what we uh, because because I, I will relate to 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 a thing that we concentrated on for for some time, which is. Uh, it's it's not related, but uh, w- working with with uh, with kids like like normal school education. Uh, it started by accident, and then we we, we learned a lot from this uh, from this experience that we understood the meaning of uh, what we are doing and and how we how how, how can we be in benefit for society, uh, and and when we saw. The students uh, relating to the subjects that they don't like, uh, and and being excited and coming up with new ideas, and and more interested in in our place in in, in, a, in the hacker space or a makerspace uh, than other people. We saw that we had to concentrate and and uh, and uh, and and learn more from this experience, and and then now. Uh, Working in that field of, of, uh, of uh, technical research and 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 sciences uh, We we think we think that will teach us more about what we are doing and And from a hacker or a maker perspective. I don't call myself a hacker or a maker, but uh, It will be challenging that we enjoy and 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 I think that will be uh, very beneficial for for uh, for the community for the scientific community because uh, if science entered or, or, or these or challenged uh, if you challenged hackers in hacker spaces with these problems uh, 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 you you would get a lot of benefit in 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 the community because of that like for example like 3d printing 3d printing have been always proprietary it have been always there as it is right now And it started developing, and it it became much much better and much much cheaper when the company owned the patent, lost lost the patent. The patent basically expired. 3D printing, as you see it right here, like right now, have been in universities and companies uh, since early 90s. This like the the famous type FDM, the one you see. Uh, most commonly, this have been there during the 90s. We even had it in Egypt during the 90s in the universities, but it was locked inside rooms. So uh, when it was introduced to the hacker community, uh, it, it grew so big, and 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 literally, like like some of these companies that had uh, these proprietary systems, they ended up right now literally stealing from the open source upgrades that the community made. Really 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 fast. so I'm just I'm not talking like in the, in that debate, but I'm, I'm just giving an example about about something that before like maybe five years ago, even the people now that haven't seen a 3D printer, they won't even imagine it like like a, th- a printer that prints something anything on your disk. So, uh, so we are trying to get this competition inside the hackerspace community, like our community for now, and we, we would love to see other hackerspaces to do that so we can have more challenges, like the 3D printer example uh with other tools i agree with you that not everything can be done uh and even things can be done it won't be perfect or won't be really beneficial for science right now because because maybe it's it's already advanced and we need more answers uh, better uh, than than what you would get from something that did diy but it's also following the research and development so it will develop fast as the open source three D printer developed, and and uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, that's the examples I, I, I keep telling myself to believe in in what we want to do in Cairo Hacker Space, so we can keep doing it and and believe that we can actually make an impact.
0: or sorry, do you
3: Yes, um, in fact, in my
1: view, science done in in academia should. Uh, be devoted to the society and align with uh, social needs of uh, local population but the way science is done in many universities in Africa and particularly in Cameroon uh, doesn't really facilitate this connection between uh, society and uh, university. So. Um, for me science can learn uh, from uh, from the hacker movement in in many ways, in term of um, uh, in term of uh, of uh, collaboration because um, the hacker movement is tightly related to uh, the idea of commons mm-hmm, of openness and horizontal collaboration without any barrier in terms of financial barrier gender uh, geographical or hierarchical uh, barriers so and uh, science have, has also to learn from the hacker movement in terms. Of uh, uh, community, you know, hacker, the hacker movement is a grassroots movement. So, for in order to facilitate the connection between university and society, we, we should uh, research on the institution. Should hear the community before and try to solve problems for uh, what the needs coming from uh, the grassroots. So that is my point. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you very much. Lucy, um, from your experience from the Science Sector Berlin and also the communities that you work with, probably throughout the year or that you interact with, also for the cur- curating <laughs> on the building of the program, and where do you see the challenges in the meeting of makers and scientists, and maybe also uh, one or two um, best practice examples?
4: Yeah, um, so. There are tremendous opportunities, I think, like Tarek said, um, in terms of yeah, pushing the development of technologies inside science and, and innovation. And that can definitely be inspired by the kind of methodologies that we use inside the hacker movement and inside biohacking and DIY science in these communities. Um, but I think there is a bit of a risk of just... Um, just co-opting those methodologies that institutions will just take those and kind of take the 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 yeah the practical side the pragmatic side of of how you can release more innovation inside an institution or access innovation outside of the institution um, or you know have these really fun interactive ways of engaging um, with the public or with society and kind of communicating science. Um, But if you just take those sides of what the hacker movement is and and that's it, then you kind of missed part of the point of, of what it is that we're doing here. So I think the hacker movement is really, It's about breaking down elites. It's about opening knowledge so that everyone in society has equal access to it. It's about building a commons together that we are all part of and that we all can use and also contribute back to. Um, So if these hacker methodologies are just utilized by those elite institutions without any kind of self-reflection about who has agency in the situation, then that can be that can be that's that you've missed the opportunity basically, and the big opportunity here with with um, with DIY and with the hacker ethos is to really break down those hierarchies and to, to scale science so that more people in different contexts, be it locally here in Berlin and from different backgrounds and different disciplines, can be part of the scientific process, or be it in in other contexts in other countries where uh, you just don't have the the financial um, capacity to build these the kind of elite uh, institutions that we have in the West so um, yeah it's what we're trying to do is really to build a new culture build a new uh, way of doing science and like Thomas said really learning from how the hacker communities organize themselves so yeah, that's that's what I'd have to say. Oh you wanted some specific examples. Oh that's uh, yeah.
0: you can also take that later. That's fine. <laughs> um, as a last question before we opening up for the audience also to pose questions and engage in the discussion. Maybe um, to you, Jenny. Um, With the internet, since this is also an internet conference, so how do you see the internet provides um, for boosting the opportunities with open science in general, and in particular for open science hardware, an exchange of knowledge and also equipment for the global research community? Also, again referring to the goal that you have with a roadmap for open science hardware, to be ubiquitous by 2025.
2: Well, obviously, it provides a huge opportunity to kind of reach out and make those connections all over the world. And so, um, you know, our forum spans um, every continent. I wouldn't say we've got the polls included, but we, we certainly have a huge number of people who are actively asking questions and collaborating with each other, sharing digital designs. And I think I think one of the key um, kind of innovations of the of the that has arisen from a greater accessibility of Um, digital fabrication equipment is the idea that you you no longer require um, the same level of craftsmanship as you previously did because you can design it and then share it and make it um, and that barrier to entry is really lowered And so so the internet is fantastic for that. I mean, you can put up your source code, you can put up your designs for hardware. Um, It, it, to an extent, enables collaboration around those designs. People can fork projects, they can add improvements. Um, But certainly in the GOSH community, that isn't entirely true because if you're going to improve a piece of hardware you still actually need the hardware in front of you generally to do that and so um, we have a collaborative project that arose out of GOSH 2017 which is developing a single pixel camera um, platform um, which is basically allowing you to use one single pixel sensor which could be a very advanced sensor but you're just using one pixel and you use fancy maths and software to basically um, produce a nice image using just one pixel this is my limited understanding of how that technology works um, but effectively the way that's been done is to create little kits that have been distributed around the world to different participants and now they're interacting online there's been some great filmed conversations on YouTube between people who actually understand bits of the project and people who don't so we can um, kind of view that so I think to an extent um it's it's absolutely transformative in allowing those kinds of collaborations to happen but it definitely has a limitation and i think with that with hardware with biological techniques with these hands-on activities there's an element of kind of tacit knowledge and sticky knowledge that is very difficult to transmit through the written words and even really through videos um and so i feel like spaces that Tourette and Thomas and Lucy are creating those kind of in-person communities of practice are still very much necessary when we're talking about lab tools and equipment. And that's the reason that we continue to have in-person meetings around open science hardware, and it's not just a digital community. And I mean, in-person meetings are fantastic for other reasons, for kind of, you know, forming social bonds and meeting people. Fantastic food. Fantastic food. Um, But I think think that that's another divide. And I'm I'm fascinated at this kind of um, evolution of... um, the transition between digital and physical because we see it happening with 3D printing but we also see it happening in biology, the transmission of DNA sequencing and, uh, or DNA sequences and the growing capacity to synthesise DNA, to write DNA as well as read it means that you know in the future um, you will be able to, ship a DNA, to send a DNA sequence by email and someone can effectively print it out at the other end that's happening slowly um, and so in, in both contexts there's this kind of yeah, digital, to physical, cool stuff happening but yet yeah, it still does require that physical element. Um, so, so, yes, transformative, but it does have its limitations in this context.
0: Are there aspects to add from the panel
2: to this particular question
0: at this point? Otherwise, take, let's um, open up for you guys. Do you have um, specific questions that you want to ask, or also unspecific questions for that matter? Please join us. All right.
5: So I would like to ask about like two issues, particularly. Uh, the first one is about like, like this uh, computation of the hackathon uh, uh, like format. So we have now hackathons for everything, but uh, the, that is not scalable in, in terms of, of creating a sustainable relationship, just, just these uh, weekend events where people meet and do stuff that is volatile and doesn't endure. Uh, so I think that, that there is a need to resist that like by hacking the hackathon. Start to be critical about this own format to create these long-lasting relationships. Uh, I would like to, to you expand about that. And the second one is about like hacking publishing. Most of the time that, that we hack science, we hack science, like trying to hack science inside science, like in the academia, in the lab. Uh, but the way that, that science is uh, validated is not... In that places is in publishing and patents and stuff like that so what could be like the the step that connects this hacking science inside inside uh, academy and labs to um, hacking publishing and the places where the science is validated outside academia
4: maybe i say something to the hackathon hacking the hackathon point uh you're totally right Uh, one weekend doesn 't change anything, um, what we do with science hack days, we realized this, and about three years ago we also launched a meetup. so we have a regular meetup twice a month. We have a Stammtisch, which is a for the non german speakers that 's where you get together and discuss in an e- of, of an evening with some beers, and we also have a hack lab, which is like a one day hack, pretty low uh, low level that we don't organize all kinds of catering and blah. Um, so we thought that would be the answer to the problem and it definitely keeps the community feeling alive and it's a place where people can always find us but i don't think even that's enough to be honest um i think what we've realized is that just creating a platform doesn't necessarily do it you actually if you want things to happen then you need to make things happen so i think personally i'm, I'm interested in in doing that now and actually kind of Initiate, uh, making sure that we initiate projects and, and putting the right support in place for those projects to have a long life. So that also means getting access to funding for more sustained projects. And that, so hacking funding is the, <laughs> is the big challenge actually at the moment.
1: Yeah. Um. I used to ask some hackers in Western context uh, why I'm doing hackathon, what is the, the purpose of, of uh, hackathon. For many of them, uh, it's just for fun, you know, <laughs> you're hacking just for fun. and. That is uh, the dangers of this kind of, uh, because many replicating the idea of Rakatan without uh, uh, a specific uh, uh, goal, you know. But in other parts, like uh, in African context, in particular, people are doing things to solve a particular problem. So, if you are together to 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 try to find a solution, is for a particular problem. It's not uh, uh, for fun. And <coughs> so, the, the basic is who the, 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 the 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 idea, the goal of uh, the organizer of such kind of event. So, what do you want to solve? Is it for fun or is it for local uh, problem? About hacking um, the population. Hacking science in through publishing, something like that. Um, in African university, particularly in my context in Cameroon, we are dealing with uh, this kind of issue. You know, uh, our university are not. Uh, um, part of this big uh, concept, uh, this, big, uh, uh, this big publisher. So we don't have access to uh, many uh, reviews. And open, as open access in this way is very important for us. So one way uh, we are using to hack uh, publishing like me in our association, APSOA um, or Project SOA, you are teaching people how to learn how to use usepsyH on paywall and other things, even either it's not legal in your context but it's, it, it's okay for us we just need to get knowledge as a common so so you <laughs> are teaching them how to use this kind of how to hack um a local research or a close research you know so that is uh, that is what I'm gonna tell to
3: just uh about about uh replying to your question and also what I said before because this is uh, since we wanted to do this thing in the Cairo hacker space about uh, making it friendly to uh, scientists, this is my first meetup with uh, uh, people from my background of science and trying to make to join the two communities. So I'm learning and I'm sharing my past experience and we will try. So uh, what we learned from our past experience with different communities, uh, we don't know if it will work with every community or not, is that uh, we made, when we do hackathons or events or hack days, our main target now became is starting a community from the event. So we make the event very good something can come out out of it. But our main target is like, hey, we want to start a community, whether it's inside the hackerspace or make a group of people interested in a new topic. So this topic, uh, as far as I know, haven't been uh, introduced in Egypt. Open science or a community of scientists working outside the institution. So hopefully, uh, and we spoke about uh, making the uh, open the, the the science hack day. We want to do it in Cairo space. So we we want to do it uh, because we want to start this community in the hacker space the, with that with that hackathon. So that's 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 what they are good about. The community will create the outcome, the impact, the feedback, everything. So uh, that's that's uh, my reply too. Also to this. Yeah.
2: So I my final comment would be really on the um, on the open science hardware front that absolutely dissemination and communication and publishing is super important and there's a couple of things we've identified. One is that if you're in the ivory tower, if you're in academia, you get very little benefit from taking the time to document your hardware. And so there are now two, um, at least two journals, uh, Journal Open Hardware and Hardware X that will publish these designs. And so that's one way of essentially co-opting the current system of reward for publication (laughs) to encourage people to do this. Um, Also trying to create tools that make it easier to document stuff well, because a major difficulty in the open science hardware space that impacts people's perception of the quality of the hardware and their ability to build it is just the lack of good quality documentation um, that's available for many of these projects, particularly those that are at the more complex end of the spectrum, the type of things that you're interested in building. It's, you know, an instructable is often not sufficient for a multi-part complex precision scientific instrument. And so how do we kind of develop that such that it is a little bit easier for the, you know, it, it's hard, whatever you do, doing open science, whether you're making your data openly available or whether you're making your hardware open available, it's extra time. And so anything that you can do to kind of reduce that burden, um, in terms of hacking the broader system, I don't know I don't have answers to that, but certainly in the hardware context, I think there's a couple of things we can do. I' mean, making sure that journals recognize the value of having that detailed documentation and not trying to squish your method section into two paragraphs, which is quite you know common.. Um
6: yeah thank you all for your input and uh, really enjoy the conversation. Actually, my question was related to exactly what you were just speaking about because I've had the privilege of being in many different maker spaces, hacker spaces where a lot of it was about you know digital fabrication and other things but I'd never seen a science an open science lab and I was thinking mainly about the hardware and about the challenges uh, we face in our community with our, with our makerspace in, in, in Egypt and how <clears throat> at one point the equipment got so expensive but with a lot of open source designs people started making their own 3d printers much more practical and so when I'm thinking on the science sense I see this picture behind us and I'm like wow I mean is this what's required or maybe not required but is this a goal is it I mean can you actually hack the hardware needed this equipment that you're just talking about right now it seems uh, even more challenging in this sense and I wonder if you have anything to say about that
2: Um, So, I don't think it's any coincidence that three out of four of, well, actually, four out of five of us, I should say, have a background in biology, because actually the stuff we use is often quite simple, not, you know, there are very fancy... Imaging techniques, microscopes, etc., etc. But your work a day molecular biology lab, most of that stuff basically picks up small amounts of liquid and dispenses it again, or heats stuff up and cools stuff down in particular ways. Now, that stuff is not complicated, but it's super expensive for no real technical reason. Um, and so there is. Obviously, not everything um, is a DIY. You know, is, is, is going to be accessible, and obviously depends on kind of the quality of fabrication equipment that you have and your ability to calibrate things. Um, but there's a lot of stuff, particularly in biology context, that can be done, and I think that's why there's such a lot of interest in this kind of DIY bio, DIY bio biohacking because just the the differential between what you can create for quite cheap on the DIY front and what it costs to actually buy it is quite huge. And also I think biologists, this is like a whole new world for us. So physicists and engineers, you tinker all the time. It's kind of like built in. Whereas biologists, you pick stuff out of a catalogue and then you kind of work with it often, at least in a context where you have the money to do that. And so I think particularly in terms of that earlier question of what can makers and scientists get from each other. I think just that lack of fear of technology and just kind of using what's available and actually just making something and adapting it. Because you can do better science if you can design your equipment to fit your experiment rather than kind of fitting your experiment to the equipment that you happen to have lying around you. And so I think that kind of element is quite important. Um, So there's definitely limitations on what you can do. I don't know anyone that's building an electron microscope from scratch, for example, but there's a whole bunch of stuff So I didn't really answer Joe's question about my inspiration for getting involved in this area. My PhD was on um, control of mosquitoes. And we used to have um, mosquitoes that we had to feed on um, sheep's blood. And we had to heat the blood up to 37 degrees C because that's the temperature of a human and they love biting humans. So all this machine did was heat to 37 degrees C. It didn't even have a temperature dial. It was humidity proof, admittedly. But the the base unit plus the feeders was not much short of 3,000 pounds. So the kind of, and and that is a piece of equipment that would be potentially useful in a context of mosquito endemic regions where they don't have 3,000 pounds to spend on a piece of equipment that just heats something to 37 degrees. And so I think, yeah, there's definite, um, there's real scope. In these types of areas to do stuff Um, and and you know as long as you think through the testing and the calibration you can get some really high quality results and then share that data so that other people can trust that the instrument actually works and again that's the kind of documentation problem people will make stuff but it won't be um, tested against the commercial alternative or kind of have all of the data in the paper that would enable you as a scientist to say is this good enough for my experiment and be able to make that judgment
0: Um, I would like to ask you guys in the audience, what's your personal experience with open science? And do you have experiences that relate to what was presented here? Or also, do you have other questions to the panelists? But please, engage with us. That's the whole point in the panel discussion.
7: Uh, hello, thank you very much for all your great impact, uh, input here. Um, I have to start my, my comment with a disclaimer. I'm working in a library. End of disclaimer. So now I'm asking you, um, when you're thinking about, we had this, uh, hacking, um, um, sorry, hacking uh, scientific publications uh, and the word open access already, uh, already showed up here. And then the second point of um, building sustainable and long-lasting relationships in a community Um, well that's what we're doing (laughs) in a library (laughs) that's what we're trying to achieve we, um, I don't know just short um, 200 um, scientific institutions in Germany just cancelled their subscriptions to Elsevier the biggest um, scientific publisher in the world and are trying to figure out how to make their journals open access Um, so Open access is a very huge thing for libraries. And building communities is, yeah, libraries as a 3rd so-called third space, so a space outside of work, and home, and being a public space where you can spend time without spending money um, is a goal we as libraries have as well. So, all this said, do you have any um, cooperations with libraries being scientific or public? or? Would that be something you could think about, or why wouldn't that be so feasible?
4: I could say something to it. Maybe you <laughs> um, I'm ill-equipped because I have a vague anecdote, but I, I think maybe in the US there is, uh, at least in some parts, a strategy where they combine makerspaces with libraries. Um, Yes, Jenny's nodding. That's good.
2: basically what I was going to say as well, that certainly at a kind of the makerspace level that is happening. So I could certainly see if you if you have that program going, I mean why not integrate some of the science aspects into it as well?
4: Yeah. I think really if we look ahead to the future, we should have if, if science is a commons that everyone has access to, then it could be something that's provided at a municipal level. And then what kind of infrastructure would you fit that into? Um, and I think libraries are really, like, you could think about different ways of doing it. Like, one argument would be that universities are more open to communities and universities provide these kinds of facilities. But I think libraries are also a really good potential option for, like, providing access to these kinds of equipment, this kind of... Yeah.
1: I'm not sure that I, I, got, your, I got your question very, very well, but... Um For me, uh, libraries is a very important part to to hack uh, uh, science in university because the first problem about scientific publication is also to decolonize the minds of researcher you know many researchers particularly in, in, in the, the field of uh, biology or hard science uh, really like to to publish in journal with uh, higher impact factors so this this uh, the, the, this parameter is embedded in 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 their mind, and you know, as a former biochemist, because I have a background in biochemistry, um, in our universities like when you want to publish a paper, you have to publish either, either in Nature or in Elsevier. So, but now things don't work like that. So, library have to to train. Um, to train uh, research uh, about these new trends of scholarly communication, but librarians have a very big uh, barrier, institutional barrier also, because you can promote open access, but institutional uh, universities still remain um, very traditional. You know, and the the very big support you need is from your institution. An institution can write a policy, uh, um, a policy uh, uh, which can facilitate uh, research to 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 to, to publish um, on this kind of platform or to tr- follow your training or your courses about uh, uh, scholarly communication.
0: I think, just from my side also I think we're um, tackling or we are talking about open science hardware, and there's all these other open science um, angles to it, and what you're approaching is probably um, towards open methodology and then open data is its own huge community, and of course they intertwine and overlap and I think we are already like people are already working in that direction, so it's not that we have to call for it so much it's just just a matter of um yeah, raising more awareness of that's happening and that it's important and it's, it's also bringing us back to where science is supposed to be from the start. That's what we want as scientists. That's why we became scientists in the first place and also yeah, to make our um, results and achievements accessible and usable and not hide it behind paywalls. And the hackers help us with that.
3: <laughs> I just want to add something about related to the hardware. Like, like uh, Many libraries now have makerspaces, and uh, it's a good opportunity because uh, one of the challenges to start a maker a makerspace or a hackerspace, uh, whether it's like general like Cairo hackerspace or specifically for science, uh, one of the many challenges is finding the the place itself, the space itself, and the rent, and so many things. So I see the libraries can be a very good potential in 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 having something like a, an open science maker space, uh, also in the cities or countries that they are available in many neighborhoods or or closer to people and already it will be maybe get funding or something like that it will be easier for that uh, place Uh, it will also be good if it works as like a community driven uh, which i I mean i don't know i'm not saying it is or it's not Uh, in the us right now most libraries have maker program uh, mostly, it's targeted for, for school students and summer camps, uh, but they have the machines, they have the tools. So I think it would be a good idea to also involve uh, science, open science hardware, when we have the big library of how to build the hardware. And uh, to, 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 to do that, maybe that, that, w- that actually is a good idea. It would be a very good opportunity uh, to, to do that in, in an open space like a library.
0: <laughs> can, can we go back a few slides <laughs> at this point? And meanwhile, um, do you have comments, other questions? We have time for one or two more. Please, Alex,
1: let's the first one.
0: No worries. The one more? Yes. Yes. Uh, thank you. <laughs>
1: Thank, uh, thank you very much for your question, because if you are looking at this logo, uh, Mbola is my the reification of my uh, utopia, you know. I cannot dissociate library to the maker movement. That is why in my logo, as you can see, the book is there in this side and related to electronic and the community near all age.
8: So it's just my comments. Uh.
0: <laughs> thank you. Okay.
8: So just a comment. I really liked what you said, Jenny, about like biologists should start and fit their um, instruments to their experiments, and not the other way around. Um, well, um, this is actually what we what got me like involved into uh, open hardware. But how how could we convince our like our bosses, our professors, to do that? I'm a PhD student, and I think this is the most challenging part because. Before we started, like having a 3D printer, nobody have, has seen a 3D printer before, and um, sometimes the systems are quite old-fashioned, and there are so many challenges in overcoming like the barriers in the heads of professors and so on. Do you have good experience or like good examples how it could work, or uh, what's your opinion on that? Thank you.
2: Um, so I think demonstration is probably the way to go which is not that handy if you want to make the case for getting the 3d printer in the first place um but I, so i don't i don't have specific experience of bringing around a single professor who was really thinking this is not a good idea and then and then it suddenly was but certainly um i think it's it's slow progress to um persuade people that you can do stuff that's valuable with these types of things and I think I think often that's a tension between the maker movement and the scientific angle is that it's kind of if it's viewed as being DIY open source 3D printed it's there's a kind of there's a perception often um, and maybe it's a generational thing maybe it's an academic versus outside of academia thing I don't know but for certain individuals it's certainly viewed as being not as good and so you kind of have to work doubly as hard to show that what you've created is both useful to your experiment and is in fact if not you know is equal to or at least you can show that it's good enough for what you're trying to do scientifically um, what we found when 3d printers have been used by biologists is that a lot of the time they're um, adapting bits of lab kit as a first off so kind of building connectors to to add different imaging um, systems to microscopes for example is a very common usage and uh, Yeah, connecting different types, different ways of moving their biology through the pipeline, introducing automation, and I think just you know there are things you can point to whereby having this attitude and um, approach brings a lot of time-saving measures. So, PIs often think in terms of funding and money and publications. And so, anything that you can do to say, well, this will save me however many hours a week petting if we have this open-source petting robot, for example, or that, you know, now I can automate my slide imaging by moving them around. That's at least going to save me two hours a week where I could be doing other science. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the kind of... Um, Positive response from from biologists, in particular, I have to speak to that because I know them best. Um, is is this the automation side is really exciting because a lot of it is very manual work. Um, and there's no real scientific reason why that should be a human if you can get a machine that does it as well. It frees you up to actually do the thinking parts and the experimental design and the data analysis. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, I guess my my answer is numbers. If you can work out how long you're spending a week doing something and say, well, this will save me X amount of time. But you always have to weigh up against it's kind of like the programmer's dilemma. Do I kind of do this and make a program that will automate it, but the program's going to take me two days to write, or do I just do the thing anyway? If you're a biologist, doing it will almost certainly be in Excel. So I'll put that. But there's that kind of, it's, it's always, there's a pragmatism aspect as well. That, you know, if, it's, if you're building something because you enjoy building something, and it's going to take you ages, and you're going to get a marginal benefit at the end, then that's really difficult to sell <laughs> to somebody that's managing you. Um, so I'm not sure if that's helping, but yeah, just just kind of thinking through the benefits to your own work and expressing those um, but ultimately, there is it, it's it this happens across the, science, the kind of open science movement as well and commonly comes up um, in conversation about your, if you're, particularly if you're a PhD student, mm-hmm. academia is set up mm-hmm. such that you, your PI often has pretty much absolute power over what happens in their labs um, and so yeah, there, there probably comes a point where you can't argue any further. Sometimes people will then just do it anyway um, and sort of demonstrate the results afterwards.
8: So we basically just have to wait until the PIs are um, biomakers themselves, right?
2: <laughs> well, that would be the conversion; would be the ultimate route, yeah. But I think, I mean, if you can do it and and just demonstrate that it's useful for your work, um, I say I don't have any tips if you don't actually have the tools to do things, but you can point to other projects. I mean, there's some cool stuff out there that's been beneficial. And,
0: and, uh, do you want to add one, like we, we're out of time, so this is it basically, but maybe there's time for one more final statement? Do you, like what's uh, the, what's, uh, yeah, is there something that you, at this point, after the discussion, want to share with the audience, like what's your ultimate goal? I think that was up early on one slide, <laughs> like we could just Open Science Hardware. Um, Yeah, do you want to have a final (laughs) statement, basically?
4: Um, I think what Jenny said about um, making the case for open source hardware inside academia is very, very true, but I think um, we're also talking about a commons which extends outside academia. Um, So, how do we make, how do we incentivize that? How do we make that possible? And that's both incentivizing scientists inside academia to support it, but also growing capacity outside of institutions. So I think there is a lot of work we could do to open up new kinds of funding or new programs that would support capacity building inside community, outside of these wealthy institutions, but also finding new ways to incentivize um, mutually beneficial collaborations between academia and partners outside of those institutions and the way that science is evaluated and funded at the moment in these institutions really doesn't make that possible. So this would be about maybe if you want to build collaborations and they really need to be eye-level partnerships. So we need to have new funding mechanisms that allow co-design of research and support the growth of the, the capacity of those communities outside of those institutions.
2: Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. It's all about context and in what context being open can be beneficial and for who. So what, you know, as an individual, what are you trying to to achieve through doing your science? What is your institution trying to achieve? Who are the beneficiaries and can openness kind of increase the benefit? That's, that's one, um, way of looking at things that I think is, is less examined. And that kind of helps when you're weighing up against the pragmatism of doing it this way or doing it another way. Um, and I think the um, I guess the 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 final um, thought is that I hope that we can um, move towards kind of constructing that commons in such a way that it does reach across all of these dispersed groups and I think it's a really 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 tough challenge to think through but I think that research tools are absolutely critical to the open science conversation and I'm really pleased that this panel is focused on that because it doesn't get brought up often enough that open data and open access has a very high profile in this space Um, but you can't get the data if you can't run the experiment and so particularly when we're talking about capacity building for research the equipment and the reagents are absolutely key.
3: Uh, I just want to say that uh, I would love to see the uh, science community grow in hackerspaces to the level that the engineers who build the proprietary patent tools go and join the hackerspaces and build the tools in the hackerspaces Uh, when we reach this level uh, where we we, we will actually have uh, better tools than the proprietary ones, like what happened with 3D printers and and many other uh, things that I don't want to mention right now because it's very complicated.
0: So thank you very much, Tarek, Jenny, Mboa, and Lucy, and thank um, thank you all for coming here, for your interest, and for sharing your thoughts. And yes, let's keep on discussing this, and enjoy the (laughs) República.